I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Leslie Krigstein, Interim VP of Public Policy of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME. CHIME is an association of health IT leaders, including CIOs and CISOs. CHIME, in a letter recently to Congress, made several recommendations about health IT issues, including privacy and security. Leslie will explain why CHIME has made these recommendations to the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, and what's at stake if Congress doesn't act on these issues. So now, Leslie, in a letter to the Senate Committee, CHIME wrote that the lack of consistent patient identity matching strategy is the most significant challenge inhibiting the safe and secure electronic exchange of health information. So now, Leslie, why is that the case? From the perspective of the CIOs, the inability to confidently and consistently identify patients has been an issue that has really just been compounded as the conversation relative to interoperability and health data exchange has uh, exploded. Interoperability is the the flavor of the year um, on Capitol Hill relative to health IT policy. And as we continue to talk about the need for more fluidity of of health data and the need for patients to have complete access Mm -hmm. to their records, we really need to make sure that we are, in fact, sharing the information and editing the information of a particular patient. And as we're incorporating more components and as we are continuing to grow the IT ecosystem and incorporate more data sources, it's only going to become more imperative for the the safety of the patient that it is that patient in question that is the record is being edited, but also that we're not receiving an incomplete picture of a patient's history. So it's really a two-prong to make sure that records are matched appropriately but also that we're not missing any pieces. And we think that's absolutely foundational to the conversation on patient safety. So now, Leslie, as Chime noted in its letter to Congress, Congress since 1999 has banned funding for the development of a unique patient identifier by the Department of Health and Human Services, and CHIME has asked Congress to remove that ban. Now, if that ban is lifted, what sort of unique patient identifier would CHIME like to see, and how would having that identifier specifically improve data security and privacy for the patient? The the justification for removing the ban is to really start the dialogue. So often the dialogue stops at the concept of a number or just an identifier itself. And what we think as a CIO community is that if we can have that ban removed, if we can allow HHS to freely engage in a conversation relative to patient identification, that's really when we can explore the diversity of solutions. So, you know, CHIME has launched their million-dollar challenge, the, the Patient ID Challenge, and that will likely come with a solution. But we know there are, are many options that aren't, necessarily just a number alone, but we want to make sure that we've got a national approach that can allow for consistent matching regardless what system you're in, what city, or what state you're in. And we think that's really foundational to patient privacy because 
consent becomes a piece of that. So if you can, within your record or within your uh, ability to positively identify, you could set consent policies. So in the behavioral health world, you might be able to say, I would like certain individuals, whether they be granted access as a provider or as a caregiver or a family member, but you might be able to, to once you've positively identified yourself, grant those different levels of permission. And we think that would be really important in moving this conversation along in terms of patient privacy, because there is such a, a difference from state to state and from HIPAA otherwise that doesn't adequately cover the need to justify who should have access. We think that by taking a national approach, by taking a step back and coming together with the vendors, with CIOs, with providers, with patients, bringing all of us together to engage in that dialogue, that's when we can really evaluate the various solutions and see how we can use those solutions to mitigate ongoing problems such as consent and concerns over privacy. So now, CHIME has made recommendations in the past to Congress about a variety of health IT issues. Why is CHIME making these recommendations again related to the unique patient identifier? Is the problem getting worse? Is now the time to act, and why? I think there's a number of things that are compounding the veracity of the ask and and leading to kind of us reiterating ongoing points. And that's really the fact that we are at a a time in the meaningful use program, we're at a time in conversations relative to interoperability, and this is a time that Congress has put this as a priority in healthcare. So we've seen the action from the House Energy and Commerce Committee in the 21st Century Church package that has a, a full section on interoperability. We're seeing the Senate Health Committee hold a series of hearings on this particular issue, and we're seeing a lot of results from the Meaningful Use Program come in and folks experiencing the the complexity of data exchange and just the different compounding factors that are either impeding or will ultimately assist in information exchange. So we think that as we're still fairly early on in the Meaningful Use Program, most folks are, are making their way through Stage 1 and really looking to either begin Stage 2 or have done Stage 2 in some form that this is the time that as we're looking at exchange, which is going to become more and more imperative as we look at ACOs, as we continue to talk about value-based care, as we're looking at the learning health system that ONC has pointed to as being ideal in the interoperability roadmap. All of that necessitates robust information exchange. So we think that it is absolutely paramount that this is the time that we look at the weaknesses in the infrastructure and the ecosystem of of IT, and we think that patient matching needs to be at the beginning of the conversation. And we think that this really is a favorable time to have these conversations because we are looking at the development of stage three rule. We are looking at the 2015 modification rule that CMS put out earlier this year. So it's not just the meaningful use program alone, but it's looking at the, the role of the MIPS program that came out of the, the sustainable growth rate fix. And we've seen those rules just come out. And all of that's going to come together as we're looking at the delivery system reform. So exchange and care coordination is going to continue to be more and more a priority on Capitol Hill and in the administration. And we think that the CIOs are, are really at the 
key point of being able to lead that conversation on the value and the hurdles to information exchange. And we think and will continue to reiterate until we can identify the patient is that patient, that information exchange really isn't going to be of the value and of the benefit that it really mm-hmm. has the potential to be. If a unique patient ID number was to be issued to each patient, would that mean that all the existing health IT systems, the EHRs, the health information exchange systems, would they all have to be revamped to incorporate these new numbers? That would definitely be a piece of the conversation that would need to take place kind of moving forward. So whether it would be a field that would be necessary for certified products, for example, for those used in the Meaningful Use Program, it would become a field. That might be one approach. But there's got to be a comprehensive look at what this would mean. We understand that if the ban was lifted tomorrow, mm-hmm. we wouldn't be able to overnight promulgate identifiers for every U.S. citizen. We know it's not that simple. And we know that there will be technical complexity that will kind of need to be ironed out over the course of the conversation. But the problem is we can't even work through those technical challenges until the ban is lifted. Rightfully so, you know, ONC and HHS are very hesitant to even embark on this conversation. And we think that we need to kind of free them from the ban to be able to talk about um, the legislation, the statute speaks to a, a standard and that HHS can't promulgate a standard for identification. So we, we need to move past that and then we can start talking about the logistics of actually implementing and if it is a number or if it's, a, or if it's an algorithm, if it's a series of fields that will be used or if there will be a biometric component we know that this is just the beginning of of Mm -hmm. outlining the complexity of the conversation. As we all know, the healthcare sector, especially insurers, have been under attack recently by hackers who have compromised personal information for tens of millions of individuals, including Social Security numbers. So now if every individual in the country were to be issued a unique patient ID number or some other identifier, wouldn't that also be one more piece of sensitive data that hackers could steal? And any advice for how those patient identifiers could be protected better than all the Social Security numbers that have been breached? That's a a great point and a great question. And the fact that the example is often used relating healthcare to to the banking sector and the fact that credit bureaus are ultimately able to map back to a number. And that's what helps promulgate your credit history. And so it might be something of that nature, that there may not be something that is apparent up front, meaning we may not even know what our identifier is, but there would be a series of sequences or different fields used or different components entered into the algorithm that could ultimately produce the identifier. So it would be kind of within a a layer of or layers, therefore, under layers of security. And I think that's an important piece, and I know that's something that is CHIME is looking at, their national patient ID challenge, that security has been a fundamental piece of the conversation and of our conversations relative to challenge design, because we have seen it. And we have the insurers, as you said, have been the player that has been subject to most of these breaches 
to date. But that doesn't mean we saw this CHS breach at, at a hospital system, but certainly this is becoming more and more of a challenge and a priority among CIOs is to make sure that PHI is protected because, as you stated, you know, the, the value of a record is exponentially more than just what a Social Security number once was or what a credit card number is. But it's really the fact that any kind of malicious activity could impact a record and then ultimately change how one's health history is accounted for. And so that's fundamentally as we move in this conversation, as we talk about identification, we need to make sure those security protocols are baked in from the beginning. They can't be an afterthought. And that's something that we've tried to reiterate as we've talked about health information exchange, um, whether it be relative to patient identification or the active exchange but we need to make sure that security is at the forefront at all of these conversations. Another recommendation from CHIME is for Congress to lead a an open dialogue to help states align privacy and consent policies that enable cross-border exchange of health information in a secure manner. This also includes a recommendation for Congress to re-examine or provide clear guidance on certain provisions of HIPAA. So what would chime like Congress to do when it comes to re-examining HIPAA, what changes in HIPAA, for instance, might be needed? The issue with HIPAA is that folks, and we've heard it from members of the Senate just in the series of IT hearings recently, there is a general fear of opening HIPAA because of what might come along with it. But the problem is we're in a totally different IT ecosystem. EHRs were not as uh, prevalent or very much under construction at the time of HIPAA's drafting and implementation, and we think they're really we need to account for the dynamic nature of the healthcare industry and the complexities that have come forth since the institution of HIPAA. So, and that's where we really see that need to talk about consent. That's where the challenge, the ongoing challenge of state to state exchange has really become a problem for so many of our members. And that's also an issue for HIEs as well. So there is so many border communities that you may need to exchange records or frequently need to exchange data over arbitrary lines, and the existing policies are are the problem. And so, again, as we keep talking about the need for patients to have complete access and open access to their complete health history, that's just not going to be possible until we look at the barriers from state to state and the overarching federal policy that isn't enabling that kind of exchange. So we think that one step in that is the value of the longitudinal healthcare record and the fact that if we are able to kind of look at patient identification as the means to look at consent or to mitigate privacy concerns, that that might move us forward. But at this point, there are really not available technical solutions or different things that we can look at for consent relative to HIPAA or relative to state privacy laws that are going to be able to enable the kind of exchange that's necessitated as we continue to talk about the free flow of information. So so often our, our CIOs say, the boundaries really are arbitrary, and the exchange needs to be able to be free-flowing. 
And until we evaluate or kind of knock down these arbitrary state-to-state -state boundaries, that's when we can move forward. And so there's, like patient ID, the, the state consent, the state-to-state the -state differences in privacy laws, that's going to continue to be an ongoing challenge. And we think that Congress has the ability to step up here and lead the dialogue about what a, a national approach to consent to information sharing really could and should look like. So now, Leslie, on a related topic, mm -hmm. the 21st Century Cures Bill was recently approved by a House subcommittee, and it calls for changes in HIPAA privacy provisions so that it's easier for researchers to use patient-protected health information without consent for research. So in other words, researchers would be able to use this data the same way that data can be used for treatment payment and operations within healthcare under HIPAA. Do you think that these proposed changes to allow PHI to be used by researchers more easily is a good thing, and why or why not? They address the ability of uh, providers to access and share data in a few different pieces of the act, but the ability to share without consent was something that was included in the interoperability section. So. They said if you're sharing with a covered entity, you don't necessarily need the individual consent prior to sharing. And that's something that our members have been receptive to because often, as we say in our comments, the complexity of consent is something that has been a barrier, and we think that the language that was included in that section will hopefully kind of, again, move the conversation forward and kind of give, uh, whether it be providers, HIEs, hospitals, so forth, the ability to move that patient's data for the purposes of care seamlessly is a step in the right direction. Thanks, Leslie. I've been speaking to Leslie Kriegstein. I'm Marian Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.